In addition to being a world-class professional speaker and the CEO of your church, you also, as a pastor, need to be a professional counselor. That's right. You, <laughs> The expectation is that you have the ability to carefully and responsibly handle and care for the deepest needs of your congregants nearly constantly. That's at least the expectation that is placed unrealistically on a lot of pastors, or at least the expectation that a lot of pastors feel. In this series, we have been walking through the seven expectations, the seven unrealistic expectations that have been placed on pastors as a from the perspective of this guy, Alexander Lang, who wrote this article called Departure, Why I Left the Church. It went viral a couple months ago. And we've been walking step by step, week by week in this podcast through each of the seven expectations that he laid out. If you missed the first one, we did an overview of all seven. And then in week two, we talked about being a professional speaker. Last week, we talked about being the CEO of your church. Today, we're going to talk about counselor. This is the Preaching Donkey Podcast. My name is Lang. If you want to go further into the resources that we offer here at Preaching Donkey, mostly about preaching and communicating well so that you can preach with confidence and clarity, go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. You can pick up my free 21-day guide to creating killer sermons. That's at preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. There's something in there for you, whether you're new to preaching or you've been preaching for a long time. It's a free guide. It will really help you. Preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. All right, as we've been walking through each one of these expectations, we've put it through the filter of either embracing, delegating, or outsourcing. And so I wanna quickly go over what this means. As we look at one of these expectations, any one of these expectations, so like today we're looking at counselor, we are going to look at this and we're gonna say, is this something that I personally embrace meaning that this expectation, this responsibility is something that me personally, if you're the lead pastor of your church or a pastor of your church, is this something that you're going to take on and say, this is a responsibility and an expectation that I will own personally. That's embracing. The other way to handle it is to delegate. It's to say that as a church, this is a responsibility that we have that we take seriously but I personally, as the lead pastor, do not personally embrace this. I'm going to delegate it to someone else on my staff. So the way this might work sometimes is if you have a care pastor who handles the counseling ministry of the church. <clears throat> and then finally, we're going to look at, is it something that I neither embrace, nor are we going to delegate it to someone else on staff? It's going to be something that we outsource to another organization. And when it comes to counseling, there's a lot of things to consider that I want us to set a framework for how to think about this. First of all, counseling has a legal impl implication, right? That's why we have licensed professional counselors who are licensed <laughs> to do this kind of work professionally. So the first thing I would say is be very careful what you call counseling in your church because counseling has a legal connotation. It's way better to say something like care or say something like um, pastoral care, something that has a more religious bent to it. Now, I am not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. This is just for entertainment purposes only. I can only speak to what I've seen happen at the churches that I've been a part of and that I've helped lead as a pastor. 
at one of the churches that I worked at in the DC area for about 10 years, we had a lay counseling ministry. This was lay leaders who we put through a training and we allowed them or empowered them to serve as one of their roles as a volunteer was to share in the kind of responsibility of pastoral care. Well, we eventually stopped calling it lay counseling because we realized that we were putting our church and putting them in somewhat of a precarious position because they weren't counselors and neither were we professionally. And so we started to call it a care ministry and that helped a little bit. And then we started calling them prayer encouragers. It just got kind of weird. I mean, there's so many different euphemistic ways you can say counseling. I'm just, just lesson here is that be careful about the words you use and make sure that there's not legal connotations. But we, there is something there to think about because as a church, if you don't have someone on staff who is an LPC, a licensed professional counselor, or it's equivalent type certification, then automatically you as a church are not doing counseling in a proper legal sense. You might be meeting with people one-on-one or with couples and helping them work through their issues, helping them work through their problems, but you're not doing mental health counseling if you're not a professional, or at least you shouldn't be purporting to because that's not what it is. It is pastoral ministry, it's pastoral care, it's part of what you do in your role, but it is not counseling. So with with that kind of setting aside, how do you deal with this need that people in your church have things that happen in their lives, they need help with it. They need to talk to someone. And a lot of times this burden is placed on you as the lead pastor that, hey, in addition to being all things to all people, <laughs> to in addition to writing an amazing keynote speech every week that you give to the entire organization, we call it a sermon. And in addition to being this world-class leader, CEO, we talked about that last week, you also need to be able to have the wherewithal to carve time out of your schedule to sit down and meet one-on-one with people who need you. That is the type of counseling that I believe Alexander Lang is referring to, that kind of one-on-one meeting with, with people. There's a lot of ways you can handle this. The first way is if you say, I'm going to embrace this personally, right? If you're the kind of pastor who says, this is my thing, I'm going to do it. There's a couple things I would, I would say. One, I would make sure that Again, setting aside the legal ramifications of is it counseling or is it just pastoral care? Let's just call it pastoral care, meeting one-on-one with people who have issues. It's not scalable. It's not sustainable. As your church grows and more is expected of you, it becomes more and more difficult and from a time perspective. And it becomes a massive drain on you emotionally, spiritually, physically, because there's so many other things that need your attention. So one way to embrace it would be to set up spots, like time time spots, appointment times that you have available every month, keep them very limited, and have a policy where anyone in the church can meet with you at least one time. What that does is it allows you to still be accessible. Like if somebody you know, uh, contacts your assistant or contacts you and says, I really need 30 minutes with pastor so-and-so, or I need an hour with pastor so-and-so. 
you at least have a few spots every month where if they don't mind waiting, they can get in to see you. That, that would be one way to embrace it. Another way is to use invisible time. Invisible time is like you're already at church, it's a Sunday, and someone pulls you aside and wants to talk to you. Your time is still limited, especially if it's in between services, right before your sermon, right after your sermon, but you can have some personal touches along the way where you're embracing some of this pastoral care, right? You have that conversation, you know, in the aisle of, of the church after the service and the person pours their heart out to you and you're there and you're listening and you're helping. It doesn't require a meeting and it doesn't take hours of your time, but the, the touch, the care is no less impactful to that person. From there, I would suggest making sure that there's a good delegation system in place. And I'll get into what that could look like in a second. So the first thing would be to have a limited amount of spots available. When they fill up, they fill up. The second thing would be to use invisible time. Like when are we already at the church and when does it already work with our schedule where we can have those kind of off the cuff meetings. And the third one is to use lunch, right? If there are people who really want to meet with you and you're able to do it over lunch, it doesn't take time away from your office hours, your study time, and you already got to eat lunch anyway, you might as well do it with them. And I would make that as convenient for you as possible. So for example, if they're willing to meet you at the church and you brought your lunch and they can bring their lunch, you can sit there in your office and you can talk and you get an hour, that's one way to do it. The other way is you're heading to XYZ restaurant. They're going to go, if they want to meet you at XYZ restaurant, they can be there to meet you. So that's some of the ways to find some of that invisible time and pair it up with things you actually actually do. And when it comes to those meeting spots, those, those time slots that you have, what you could do is begin with the most you're comfortable with and reduce them over time. I'm talking to the point where eventually, and again, this is very important as your church grows, but eventually there might be only like five spots a month, like five 45 minute spots a month that you do any one-on-one -on -one meetings. Again, if your tendency is to say, no, my people need to know they can access me, I totally understand that, then just disregard everything I'm saying. But if you're overwhelmed with the counseling load or the pastoral care load that you currently have, and you still want to embrace it at some level personally, then you're the person I'm talking to. Reduce the amount of spots you have, use invisible time on Sundays, and try to pair it up with lunch. That's if you're going to embrace it. Now, the other part of this is if you're the kind of person who your, your main jobs is not, you're not trying to lead the organization, maybe that's someone else, maybe that's your elders, you're not trying to fundraise, you're not trying to do HR, you barely do any weddings or funerals, um, you know, and really what your mission, what your ministry comes down to is you're a speaker, like you're the preacher and you love to meet with people. In that case, I say fully embrace it, fully embrace it and go at it, have as few boundaries as you can handle if you can reduce everything else. If you're that kind of person who can say, I can still get my sermon prepared, I can study, I can deliver it, it can be awesome, and I just meet with people all the time. Awesome, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying to the person who's really trying to like lead the organization forward, meet all these other expectations, uh, still have a social life, family life, all that, there are ways to manage around the expectation of counseling and still embrace it personally. Now, the next way that we can do this is delegate. 
And this would be something like what I talked about where if you only have a few spots available for you and you're using some of that invisible time, anything else, anything beyond that, you wanna have someone on staff who can champion these kinds of needs. So when people come to you and they wanna meet with you, you should have someone on staff that you can refer that person to and they can take it from there so that the ball doesn't get dropped. Because the goal is that people are cared for, right? That's the end result. How we get to that doesn't have to always look like you sitting down and using your direct time to meet with these people. It doesn't have to look that way. So if you can find a way to find somebody on staff, hire the person or have a set of volunteers or a key volunteer who this is their thing, then when you have those conversations and that person on Sunday pours their heart out and they want to meet with you again, but your spots are filled up or you're just you know, you don't have time for the next few weeks, there needs to be somebody that you can say, email this person and they'll take care of you and that system needs to be in place or email this address or go to the, the website, go to this, this page, fill out this form and we'll get back with you. A little trick that I learned uh, from 15 years of being in full-time ministry, never put the ball in your court when it comes to following up. When someone stops you on a Sunday and they're like, hey, pastor, can I talk to you for a second? And they ask you any question, whether it's pastoral care related, they pour your heart, their heart out to you, or they're just, they have an idea for a ministry, or they're trying to figure out when to sign up for this event. Never, ever, ever put the ball in your court. Never, ever say, I'll email you about that, or let me check and I'll get back with you. Never do that. Why? It's too much to hold in your head. You got too much going on. Um, and most of the time, if it, like they'll walk away and forget about it. And now you've got another thing to do. The, the better thing to do, in my opinion, the only thing to do is to give them instructions on how they can follow up with you. All right. So what I started doing, and, and this was a hard lessons learned, but if I had a conversation and somebody's like, Hey, I, I really want to meet with you. I would say, awesome. Please email me and remind me that we had this conversation. Or they say, I have this idea for this ministry and I, I think it'll be great. I'll say, great, please email so-and-so who's over that and, and they'll, they'll respond from there. I never put the ball in my court because that person is the one who it's most important to. And if it's important enough for them to talk to you about it, it's important enough for them to follow up with, with you on it and to try to take the next step. And if they decide not to, then I guess it wasn't that important and at least you didn't waste your time going down that road. So... A way to delegate is really good. One way that you can expand the care ministry of your church is to include and utilize volunteers. One way to do this is to have a prayer team. I talked about how my church had one of those. After the service, down front, anybody could go and they could talk to someone who was trained on how to essentially just encourage and pray for someone and meet them where they are, judgment-free, the planet fitness, right? Judgment-free zone. Just, you know, you can share your heart and I will, I won't judge you. I'll pray for you. And then if that person knows that if it needs to, if it, if they need to kind of refer that person up to someone on staff because they need to handle things or whatever, then they can do that. But it takes, if you can broaden the expectation from everything funnels up to this one person who has all the answers and who can meet with everybody and solve their problems. And you can decentralize that and empower. It's like 
Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And you start to train your church to see that, yeah, it's, yeah there's this guy and he preaches on Sunday, but he he's not the all, you know, the end all be all of, of everything we need spiritually. This is a community of believers and all of us have something to add. And if you properly train those people, it can start to be less of a burden on your staff, less of a burden on you as the senior pastor. And it can be more of a shared ministry and a shared privilege because there's people who want to do this. They just need the opportunity. So I would embrace it in the ways that I said, right? I would delegate it in the ways that I just laid out. And then third, I would outsource it in this way. I would outsource anything that is going to require ongoing meetings to help them in some uh, kind of ongoing way that really needs to be a therapist, really needs to be a counselor, right? So let's say a couple comes to you and they're really struggling in their marriage. And maybe maybe it's bad. Like maybe there's been uh, unfaithfulness. Maybe there's been, uh, a, you know, years and years of unresolved hurt and conflict. And they come to you and, and let's say that you're really invested with this couple. You love them. You want, you want them to succeed. And it's like, hey, I'm, I'll meet with you this, you know, you meet with them, you meet with them maybe a couple weeks later, and you just realize they have a long road ahead of them. Do not take that burden on yourself and do not put that on someone on your staff. When it's at the level where someone truly needs counseling, you can either outsource to another organization, which here's the best way to do this. Have an organization in your area, a counseling center that does good Christian counseling that aligns with your church and is gospel-centered counseling. You know, there's lots of different versions of that, but whatever you're, whatever you're into, <laughs> right, in terms of the preference that you have for how people do counseling, make sure they align so that you trust them, right? Go talk to the, to, to the person who leads that, who owns the practice or whatever, and set up a partnership where either you get some kind of referral discount, or if they don't give a discount, you subsidize it in some way, where when people come to you as a church, and if they can't afford counseling, maybe the church can pay half of, like one half of the first six sessions, or they can pay for the three first sessions, something where it doesn't just feel like they're getting dumped off. You can say like, hey, we don't as a church have the capacity to deal with this, but we love this organization and we we want to send you there. This is a church that I worked at for several years, did this, where if there was someone in our church, anybody in our church that came needed help, and we realize it's beyond our capacity, we had an organization in town, and we would send them there, and the church would get the bill. And the way we did it was either we would pay for the first three sessions in full, and then after that, if they want to continue, they can keep going, or we would pay for half of the first six sessions. So they would kind of do a halvesy. And by the way, that was the best of all worlds because they still have skin in the game. So they're taking it more seriously and they're committing to six sessions instead of three. And so there's a much bigger likelihood of them actually getting the care they need over a longer period of time. So that's the way that I would outsource it. In terms of just counseling as a general term in a legal sense, I would always prefer to outsource counseling. Consider your church like an intake and a triage, right? People are coming at all times with different, le different levels of need. As you find people whose needs bubble up to the point where it's like, we've 
considered the capacity we have to meet this need that's very specialized. And as a church, we really aren't there. Have the system in place where you know exactly where to send them. You know exactly what the, the protocol can be. Make it easy for them to follow through because chances are they won't want to, or if it's a couple, the, the you know, the husband will want to, but the wife won't, or the wife will want to, but the husband won't. Make it so easy and put some skin in the game if they can't afford it. Now, if you're in an area where everybody can afford anything they want, maybe you don't need to pay for it. You just need to have a, a mechanism where it's simple and easy. The next step is very clearly laid out. But as the lead pastor, if you are currently taking on this burden of managing the care ministry of your church and doing the care ministry <laughs> in your church, and doing things that really border on professional counseling and really should be outsourced, it is only going to work against your ability to get up every Sunday and give a, a message worthy because you're not going to have time to study. It's going to work against your ability to lead. It's going to work against your ability to be the lead visionary, the person who is uh, championing the vision all of those things that can only happen from you are going to suffer if you're just constantly meeting one-on-one -on -one with people. Again, like I said, if it's your thing and it really fuels you, that's a different story. I think for most pastors, it's just another thing that you have to do and it can become very overwhelming very quickly. So I would manage around it in those three ways. Embrace it very lightly, <laughs> delegate it in a way that makes a lot of sense and have someone on staff who owns it and then have an outsourced ministry that you trust that you can refer people to. And that way, the entire spectrum of care is taken care of, right? If somebody comes to your church needing care, it's not just a, well, we don't do counseling. Good luck, right? That doesn't work. Or we'll do anything you want. We'll wear ourselves out for you. That doesn't work either. And I think I've laid out a very clear path to hopefully make it, make it better, make it easier. I would also encourage you, as you're setting this up, make sure there's a clear written system for how all of this is supposed to work so that it's not just kind of floating around in everybody's head or even in one person who oversees this ministry. It does not need to just be in their head. It needs to be systematized, which means written down, standard operating procedures. And especially with this, it's important to get it right because what will happen is if somebody comes in and they've got a concern and they don't feel like things were cared for the way they wanted them to be cared for, you want to be able to go back and say, what went wrong? Where in this process did we drop the ball? Or we didn't drop the ball and this person is just um, unfairly, um, their expectations are unfair. Whatever the case may be, have a process. That is the most important thing. That's it for this episode. I'll see you next week. We're going to talk about his fourth expectation, which is going to be fundraiser. That'll be a lot of fun. A lot of fun a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot of fun. We'll talk about fundraising, uh, such an important part of ministry. You need funds to do what you're going to do. So we'll talk about how to raise them, who's responsible for it, why that all matters and how to move forward with that. Until next time, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.